words that would describe the kingdom of Judah in the time of Isaiah, around 734 BC. Our world, our nation, is in the same state of darkness as Judah was then. So isn't it amazing that we can read our Old Testament, we can read about a nation and the words that God spoke through his prophet Isaiah, we can read about something that's more than two and a half thousand years old, and yet what God says through Isaiah is completely relevant to our culture today. I find that exciting. The Old Testament is not something to be ignored. So in the first eight chapters, Isaiah presents uh, a state of the nation address for Judah. And Judah had been enjoying a kind of time of peace and prosperity, but they'd become disobedient, disobedient to God. The poor were oppressed, just like in our world. Uh, Injustice was rife. The rich indulged themselves in whatever they wanted to. It was an every-man-for-his-self attitude. And yet hearts were cold towards God. They had a ritualistic type of... Uh, they, they went to church, they went, but, but their hearts were just cold. And unfortunately, they tolerated the pagan idols of the nations they'd conquered. They even consulted mediums and spiritists instead of inquiring of their Lord. God's chosen people, under generations of flawed kings, had put their trust in either their flawed king or in themselves, or even in the occult. And as a consequence, Isaiah describes in those early chapters, God's wrath is coming, punishment is coming. Now, King Ahaz who was the king at the time. He was king of Judah, and he had a political problem. So he's in the southern kingdom. And in chapter 7, we read that his neighbors, the kings of Israel and Syria, just to the north, they're threatening him, and they're going to attack Jerusalem. And so Isaiah goes to Ahaz, and he implores him, put your trust in the Lord. And he prophesies that the attack is going to fail, and that Israel and Syria were going to fall. And all Ahaz had to do was to put his trust in the Lord's promises. And unfortunately, instead of turning to the king, uh, to the, instead of turning to God, he turned to the king of Assyria, the superpower of the day, right in the north. And so Isaiah tells him in chapter 7 verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And because Ahaz and the people of Judah refused to stand firm in their faith, Isaiah prophesied then that they too would be overcome by the Assyrians, the very group that they'd turned to for help. And so as you get into chapter 8, the languages of gathering darkness as war and death and defeat are looming. And if we read in chapter 8, 20, verse 21, it says, distressed and hungry... They roam through the land, and when they're famished, they'll become enraged. And looking upwards, curse their king and their God. And then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. See, the consequence of rebelling against God is darkness. Distress, punishment. 
And that was true in Isaiah's time, and it's true in our world today. Isaiah's message in those first eight chapters has all been about the state of this darkness and the impending downfall of the nations of Judah and Israel. And now at last we get to Isaiah chapter 9. It's a promise of hope in amongst all of that bad news. And it starts with, nevertheless, pointing backwards to all that darkness, nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. At last, a chink of light in the darkness. Now, Isaiah, as a prophecy, tends to jump around a little bit in time. And so, when we get to chapter 9, he, he starts looking forwards. He's, he's looking back on all that darkness of the first eight chapters. And now he looks forwards. So in verse 1, we've seen Judah and Israel have now been humbled. They've been destroyed by the Assyrians. They've been taken into captivity. Verse 1, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. They were tribes of Israel. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Of course, Galilee where Jesus grew up. By the way of the sea along the Jordan, we get our glimpse of our Savior King coming out of the Galilee, bringing light to the remnant of Israel and to us, the Gentiles. And Isaiah starts speaking about a distant future, a future where the people walking in darkness see a great light, a light dawning for those living in the land of the shadow of death. Sounds like Psalm 23, doesn't it? We are all living in the land of the shadow of death, something that we have all got to face at some point in our lives. Have you ever sat in complete an utter darkness. Well, when we were on holiday this summer, uh, the family decided it would be good fun to go down a cave. And uh, the, I think the, the guide had a sick sense of humor because he thought it would be funny to switch off all the lights. So I don't know if you've ever been in a cave with no lights. Um, I'm claustrophobic. I don't know why I went down there in the first place. And it was horrible being under the earth... <laughs> But when the lights went out, you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. It was horrific. Being in the dark for all of us is distressing, isn't it? And the only solution to darkness is what? You've got to switch the lights back on. You've got to have a source of light. And so in chapter 9, we're getting this wonderful sense of light coming into a dark world. To a people living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, our Lord Jesus, he, he loves us. He's passionate for us. As it says at the end of verse 7, he has a zeal for us. And he hates to see us stumbling around in the dark. He hates to see us distressed or fearful or lonely, maybe led astray by false teachers or wicked leaders. He hates to see us sin. He doesn't want us to fear death. And so there was only one solution for our dark world and its lost people. He had to enter the world as king to establish a completely different kind of kingdom. And so now what I want to do is just to look at the nature of this coming king and to get a glimpse 
of this promised kingdom to come. And a place that one day each of us who put our trust in Jesus Christ, it's a place that we will all call home. So let's look at what this place is going to be like under this king. The Lord did something unexpected, didn't he? Instead of coming in majesty, he came as a weak and defenseless baby. And we read in verse 6 here, that famous scripture, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and government will be on his shoulder. This was a child born to rule. And Isaiah had made earlier reference to him in chapter 8, verse 14. He said, Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We know our king's name. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Isaiah was trying to say to King Ahaz. He was saying, trust the Lord. He's with us. He's on our side. So how can our enemies defeat us? If the Lord is with us. And the message for us is, we don't need to fear the things that we fear. Because the Lord is with us. So this baby Jesus, yes he was born fully human as a baby. But he was born also fully divine. God is with us in this baby in human form. Emmanuel, God with us. But if we carry on looking at verse 6, you'll see a whole pile of other names for our king. So let's take a look at each one of those. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now a counselor, of course, is somebody that you go to for advice and for mentoring. Our world is full of people giving all sorts of advice, isn't it? All sorts of self-help books, how to get rich, how to make friends and influence people, how to be a good parent, how to be successful in business. And of course you can go to citizen's advice if you've got economic problems, social issues, or you could go to a psychotherapist if you've got addiction or emotional problems. Imagine being able to go to the king with all of your problems. Not just any king, but this king is the king, the person who made you, the person who made the universe. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He can fix anything if he chooses. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He knows everything that has been in the past. He knows everything that is, is going to come. And this all-knowing, all-powerful king is your personal, wonderful counsellor. He will always give you the best advice. He will always make you feel better about yourself as you take your burdens to him. He'll always point you in the right direction when you've got a decision to make. And of course today, we can speak to our God, to this wonderful counsellor, in the person of the Holy Spirit, the counsellor as we pray. And of course in the future when King Jesus is reigning on his throne, we will be able to speak to him face to face. He will be called wonderful counselor. Now our God, our King is also called mighty 
God. I don't know why I keep looking behind myself. I, keep, I could look in front, couldn't I? Thank you. There's no power on earth or in heaven greater than our Lord, is there? At a word, he spoke the universe into being. The Bible says he whistles and the armies of the world come at his beck and call. The Bible tells us he commands legions of, of angels. And, he also, and we're also told that one day every knee shall bow before this king. No matter how powerful, all people, past and present, will all bow to King Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thought? President Trump, or Putin, or Alexander the Great, or Julius Caesar, or our Queen, or you and me, we will all bow before King Jesus. Our King is mighty. And when he returns, he's going to rule all the nations of the earth and all of the peoples of the earth. He is a mighty God. So isn't it amazing then that this mighty God, this almighty king, isn't it amazing that he chose to humble himself? Firstly, by being born as a defenseless little baby. But lastly, allowing himself to be pinned to that cross. He didn't have to do that. He had all the power of the universe at his fingertips. He allowed himself to be humbled, to be pinned and to suffer that gruesome death. And he did it because of you and me and our sins. And of course, through that, what did he do? He demonstrated his ultimate power over death. He rose from the tomb within three days. And Jesus is the only person in history to have defeated death. And therefore, only through him can we truly receive life. And I just, it's, it, we just need to grasp how mighty our God really is. If we could truly understand that he really is in control of all things. All circumstances, so often they look so black and dark and out of control, but we really need to understand our mighty God is in control of all things. We don't even need to fear death because Jesus is in control of that as well. Our King is a mighty God. He's also called Everlasting Father. Now my dad is 82. He's been there for me all of my life. Mentor, friend, a disciplinarian when I needed it. But of course, that wasn't very often, was it? When something bad happened, Dad was the one I went to for help. When something good happened, Dad was the first one I wanted to share the joy with. But one day... In the not-too-distant future, he's not going to be there for me. You know, he's old, he's fragile. And yet, in Jesus, we have an everlasting Father. He's always going to be there for us. Always be there to comfort us when something bad happens. Always be there 
when we want to share joyful news with. He's our everlasting Father. And he fulfills a promise made to King David a thousand years before his birth that one of his descendants would establish a throne and it would last forever. He's our everlasting, loving Father. And then finally, he is called the Prince of Peace. When Jesus returns to rule the world in his majesty, reigning in power from Zion, Jerusalem, he's going to preside over a world in peace. Look at verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. There'll be no more need for soldiers, will there, in a world without war. And then look at verse 7. Of the increase in his government and peace, there will be no end. This will be an everlasting peace. Jesus is going to rule with justice and righteousness. And there will be no more wars, no more threats of terrorism, no more prisons filled with criminals, no more migrants, no more orphans or homeless people. He's going to put an end to the wealth gap. The word poverty will disappear from our vocabulary. Isn't that an amazing, beautiful picture of this global kingdom where one day you and I will live ruled by an everlasting and perfect Prince of Peace? Now, I've got lots of friends. Maybe it's because I'm in my 50s but, and they're all having midlife crisis. But uh, lots of stressed people at work. The advent of email and modern-day communications means the pace of life is unbearable at work at times. And people are wired 24 hours a day, aren't they? Expectations are often unbearable. And I know this year people who've left work with no jobs to go to just because they couldn't cope. I know people who are not sleeping because they can't switch off. People are making themselves ill because of stress at work. We live in a world, don't we, that is so in need of peace. Not just a freedom from war, but a peace in our hearts. A personal, deep peace. And that is what King Jesus offers, our Prince of Peace. He's promising us peace in our hearts when we, when we turn to him. Take a look at verse 4. It says, he shattered the yoke that burdens them. Let me ask you, what is the yoke that burdens you? Because the Lord is saying, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is light. Are you somebody here today, still living in darkness. My favorite scripture, scripture that I read before I became a Christian about 25 years ago, my favorite scripture is John 8:12. And it says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
That's the word, isn't it, that sums up Isaiah 9. It's light. A king of light has come to remove the darkness of our world. A darkness that's caused by our sin. Is that you today holding back from accepting Jesus Christ as your personal saviour? Because I challenge you today. Why keep stumbling around in the dark, fearing death, despairing at the black, dark world that we live in, stressed up to the eyeballs? Why do that? Because the Prince of Peace is calling you. And he says, come, follow me. Come walk in the light. I recently had the privilege with Claire to go and uh, watch Vera at her British citizenship ceremony back in the summer. Uh, She exchanged her Hungarian nationality for a British one alongside lots of other people in this ceremony. What did they have to do? They had to make vows to our Queen in order to be accepted into the United Kingdom and then get a British passport. And it's the same with us today, isn't it? If we want to enter this kingdom of God that I've been talking about, this promised place ruled by the king of light, we have to do the same thing. We have to turn away from our past and we have to make personal vows to King Jesus. We have to repent of our sin, the darkness in our hearts. We have to receive his forgiveness, accept what Jesus did on the cross for each one of us, and then be baptized. If you're somebody here who's not accepted Jesus Christ as personal saviour, my challenge is why cling to this darkness when you could be filled with light and peace? Please come and pray with me afterwards. And receive this promise of life in a kingdom of light. Now I guess most of us in this room are Christians and have been for quite a long time. So what should our response to Isaiah 9 be? Well take a look at verse 3. What are the people of the enlarged nation living under the rule of a king of light... What are they doing? They are rejoicing. They are filled with joy. That's what we should be as Christians. We should be filled with joy. I've just been talking about this amazing kingdom, these amazing promises. Should we not be filled with joy? And are we always filled with joy? I suspect most, some of us at times, we're guilty maybe of seeing the darkness around us And forgetting all these beautiful promises. And therefore we get weighed down by all the the darkness. So if you're somebody this year who's despaired at the upheaval in our political and economic world, then put your despair to one side. Because our King of Kings is coming. And he's he's going to bring eternal stability. And we will be ruled in righteousness and justice. What do we do? Rejoice. Maybe you've been fearful about terrorism and the horrors caused by war in our world. Just remember, the Prince of Peace is coming. 
And he's going to put an end to all of that war. So what should our response be? Rejoice. Maybe you're lonely. Well, be comforted. Because your eternal Father is with you and will be forever. Rejoice. Maybe you're stressed at work or at school. Then just remember, Emmanuel, God is with us, even in our workload. Rejoice. If you're suffering ill health, and we know there are people here grieving, then remember, Jesus defeated death. And one day, those that have come into his kingdom will receive new bodies that will never get ill and never die. Rejoice. Our Lord doesn't want anyone to live in the darkness and he's commissioned all of us to go into the world as his ambassadors. And we're all meant to bring light to our dark world, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is here. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will on earth as in heaven. Lord, you are our mighty God. You are our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. And Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, that you put aside your majesty to come to be with us in this dark world. Thank you, Lord, that you bring light. And we praise you for defeating death, Lord, and for enduring the pain of the cross for each one of us, Lord. And Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. Remind us to pray every day that your will be done in our world and in our lives. And Father, we do pray that your kingdom will come. Father, we long for that day, the day that you will return, not as a baby, Lord, but in your full majesty as King of Light, ruling the nations. Lord, as we await your return, help us to be your light in this dark world. Help us, Lord, to be bold as we share the good news of your kingdom with those walking in the shadow of death. And finally, Lord, today I pray for anyone here today that have not yet received you as their personal saviour. Father, would you put a burning desire in their hearts? Would you show them how much they need you? Holy Spirit, would you fill them so that they recognise the darkness in their hearts, the sin that, that only you can deal with? And Lord, encourage them to turn to Jesus. Lord, would you save the lost? And would you use us each day in, in that work? Thank you, Jesus. Amen.